It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Radio. I hope everyone is having a wonderful weekend. Uh, please stay warm because it is cold in so many areas of the country. Uh, and so we have a uh, Arctic freeze going on here, which does seem to conflict a little bit with the idea of global warming, but I, I don't, I'm not going to get too much into that. But isn't it interesting, by the way, folks, that no matter what the weather condition is, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, whether you have rain, whether you have a drought, whether you have snow, whether you have uh, rain, whatever it is, um, you know, extreme heat, extreme cold, it's always global warming. <laughs> you notice that? No, no matter what happens, it's always climate change. Uh, by the way, that's the reason they, they use the term climate change because, uh, the climate obviously is always changing. It's, it's been changing for a million years. So why wouldn't it be changing now? And, uh, my only point is, come on, you know, they, they one day they have a headline saying, you know, 2022, 2023, hottest years on record. Then when we have the, this, uh, you know, Arctic chill, they say, oh, this proves climate change too. So you can't win with these people and you can't refute what they're saying because no matter what happens, it's always climate change. But the most important thing is to keep warm because in many areas of the country, it is going to be well below zero. And in some parts of uh, Montana and the Midwest, I'm hearing maybe as cold as negative 30 degrees. Now, I grew up in the Chicago area, folks. And, uh, you know, if you haven't really been in negative 20, negative 30 degree temperature, you have no idea how cold that is and how life-threatening it can be if you're stuck out in that cold uh, for a long time. A lot more people die from freezing rather than from uh, from a, a heat exhaustion. So uh, if you have to have a, a choice between the uh, a slight, slight um warming of the planet or slight, slight, um, uh, uh, fall in temperatures, you, you know, we would all rather have more warmth than more frigid cold weather. Um, so I want to talk this afternoon. Thanks for joining folks. I know that we have a, a lot of regular listeners, by the way, our ratings are very good. So I appreciate people tuning in every Saturday afternoon from one to 2 PM. I want to start with uh, a little bit of politics, uh, because it does impact the economy so much. And, you know, uh, Monday is a big day, obviously, in Iowa with the uh, with the big contest. Really, it's a contest between, in my opinion, between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to see who is going to, um, you know, emerge. Because I think Trump is going to win Iowa. But the big question is who will finish in second place. And I, by the way, I, I love Ron DeSantis. I think he's an ins- outstanding governor. I call him America's governor. He's been incredible for what he's done in fl- for Florida. And I consider him a friend and I consider him a real superstar. Uh, I just don't think this is his time. And he's has not run a good campaign. Um, but I think he could be president someday, but I just don't think it's going to be in 2025. Um, so I'm not here to criticize uh, Ron DeSantis at all, because I, I, as I said, he's 
re, if, if we had every state run as well as Florida, what a great country this would be. Then you have Nikki Haley. I don't know Nikki Haley as well. Uh, I, you know, she's a charming woman and she's mostly right on the issues. I don't disagree with her much on anything. Um, and so she seems to be making a movement in the polls. No question about it. She's had a good couple of weeks. She has this big, a Coke network behind her that's spending tens and tens of millions of dollars to promote her candidacy. Um, and so that'll be interesting. And, you know, I, I, you never know with Iowa. I've been doing this for 35 years. Iowa always, not always, but oftentimes gives us curveballs and surprises. So anything can happen in those caucuses in Iowa. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Nikki Haley were to edge out uh, DeSantis, uh, and then DeSantis finishes in third place. And if, and if that happens, I think DeSantis is out. I think he's out of the race. I think he probably should have pulled out a couple of months ago when it really wasn't happening for him. And then you get, you know, essentially a one-on-one race between, uh, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And, and like you all who are regular listeners of the more money show know that I'm a Trump guy. And I, you know, I always say there's a good and a bad with Trump and I love the good Trump and I don't like the bad Trump, but I have to say, having spent some time with them in recent months and, and watching his speeches and watching his town halls, I think we're seeing the good, the good Trump again. I think he was outstanding the other night in talking about the issues of the country and how to put America first. And by the way, Put America first is not jingoistic. Uh, making America great again is not, you know, some kind of sinister term. It's about what a, country, a president should do. Always put the interests of our citizens and our country ahead of the interests of other countries. Incidentally, I'm not so sure that Joe Biden does that very often. I think he thinks he's the head of the globe rather than the head of our country in the way sometimes he sells America out and does things that are so damaging. For example, not producing as much oil and gas and coal and energy as we can here at home, uh, passing out uh, billions and billions and billions of American tax dollars to other countries. Uh, I, I'm against that. I hate foreign aid. I hate, uh, you know, we have problems here in the country that we have to deal with. Um, and so my feeling about Trump is, you may not like what happened on January 6th. I don't. I don't like it. I don't. I, I, I was horrified by what happened on January 6th. But if you just ju- tr- ju- judge Donald Trump based on his record and what he did for the U.S. economy, for controlling the border, for uh, keep basically creating the two P's, peace and prosperity. Peace and prosperity is what we had under Trump, and we don't have that today. We certainly don't have prosperity today, uh, and we don't have peace. You know, all these problems that are uh, the flashpoints all over the world, what's happening on Taiwan, what's happening in, <coughs> obviously, with Russia and Ukraine, obviously, what's happening in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas. None of these things were happening. Do you, does anybody remember all these kinds of flare-ups? I don't. And so we have a situation now where I think we have to I'm going to take a quick break. We have a a little technical problem and we will be right back. This is the more money show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. So great to have you with me this morning. Aaron filling for Bob Aaron Dessen of our firm uh, Payne Capital Management. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. You're in New York City. How's it going today, Aaron? It's going great. Thanks for thanks for having me. Great to be here, Ryan. Hey man, that deep voice for radio. I would have it. It's a good. It's a good. Uh, 
supplement for Bob having you in. So, and you know, one thing I thought we could talk about today is, you know, you and I, we spend most of our time thinking about financial planning, investing for our clients, getting them ready for retirement if they're retired now. And, you know, one of the hardest parts of retirement planning, I think this is for everybody, are those what I would call unknown variables. Although it'd be easy to ignore some of these questions that we can't answer, we still need to actually answer them to build a solid financial plan. And, you know, one of them that is always on the back of everyone's mind is what do we do when the next market crashes? When's it going to happen? How do I prepare for it? And unfortunately, Aaron, my crystal ball broke like 20 years plus ago when I got into business. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Ryan, because I've been reading a lot of uh, articles from some of the doom and gloom and naysayers, and it looks like we, we were supposed to have a market crash the last couple of years. just didn't come through, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they, they always say the, the experts predicted the last, uh, you know, three of the last 10 crashes or uh, <laughs> 10 of the last three crashes. Totally said that wrong. Um, but yeah, no, it's exactly right. I mean, if you would have listened to the experts last year, we should have had a market crash. In fact, some of the biggest banks out there were predicting for doom and gloom all year, and you had the exact opposite happen. And you know, one philosophy we have when you think about building your portfolio for retirement is I think one of the more, or the more dangerous things that you can do is try to solve for one problem, meaning I'm only going to position my portfolio if the market's going to crash, or I'm only going to position my portfolio because the market's going to go up. And, you know, that's just like fraught with risk, because if you're wrong, you're dead wrong. That could ruin your retirement plan. Yeah. You know, Bob always says you don't have to be exactly right. You just can't be exactly wrong. Um, and <laughs> exactly. it's so true. You know, you, <laughs> you need that balanced, diversified portfolio. So really, truly in any environment, um, you know, whether it's a global market crash or whether it's environment, an environment like we had in 22 with stocks and bonds down at the same time need to have something in the portfolio that's working for you at any given time. Yeah, we call that proverbial all-weather portfolio. And when we analyze the, the hundreds of portfolios that we analyze every year, you know, most of you don't have that. You know, maybe you're concentrated in just like large cap U.S. stocks, or maybe you're sitting with way too much cash right now because you're getting that 5%. And the problem is conditions are going to change. And if you don't have a portfolio that can account for anything that can happen down the line, you're in big trouble. And I think that's that's the key here. When you're building your plan for retirement, when you have to live off your money, you've got to be prepared for any situation, whether we have inflation, we don't have inflation, interest rates go up, interest rates go down, right? Markets go sideways, they go up, they go down. And you've got to be able to account for every situation because if we really knew what was going to happen next, I always joke about this, we'd be on our yacht. <laughs> and last time I looked, Aaron, I'm not on my yacht. You're not on your yacht. So unfortunately, our ability to predict the future is still not very good. You know what? Maybe one day we'll solve that problem. We'll see. <laughs> Keep me posted. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other issue, too, that we see all the time is, you know, one of the problems with living longer, it's good news you are living longer, is a big variable for everyone's retirement plan today is health care costs. And it's something that I feel like most of us don't solve for. And the reality of it is, if you live a long time, you're probably going to have health issues and health issues cost money. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's one of the things we try to factor in for our plans is just extra costs for unanticipated healthcare care expenses. Because um, typically, you know, as people get into their 70s and 80s, now you're having, you know, maybe higher uh, Medicare premium surcharges. You're having more co-pays, uh, more prescription costs, et cetera. Um, so it's definitely something that you have to account for. And if you're looking, say, 20 years out as an example, 
um, it's likely that those costs are going to double at least. Yeah, and I saw a study recently says you could expect to have a quarter million dollars come out of your portfolio in retirement for health care costs. That's a lot of money, and I'm pretty confident most of you don't have that factored into your plan. And the question you have to ask yourself is, if I had to write a check for $250,000 out of my portfolio, is that going to affect my lifestyle? Is that going to affect the income that I need over retirement? You know, one of our philosophies is you want to throw the kitchen sink at your portfolio. You really want to bulletproof your retirement plan. So you've got to look at worst case scenarios. Like what if I have a huge healthcare expense come out of my portfolio? And the other question is, do you self-insure, right? Does it come out of your portfolio? Do you get long-term care insurance? So there's a lot of questions that have to be solved for. And I can tell you with most of the plans that we run, most of you haven't solved for having extra health care costs in retirement, and it's a big, big deal. It's huge um, as you go in out you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And that's a, a lot of what we see, I feel like, is a lot of concentration in investments of things that have been working lately. And that's really when that becomes so dangerous, right? When we're looking that far out, well, great, you know, the quote-unquote Magnificent Seven or large-cap growth stocks have been working so well over the past decade, but we could be in a completely different environment in 20 to 30 years when you have a major, um, you know, financial need related to healthcare, and that may be at a time when that area of the market is really underperforming. No, no, it's a great point because it's not like when you're working, um, we call that the wealth accumulation stage, maybe in your 40s, you're socking the money away, um, you know, even if the market crashes, you're making good income. The problem is when you're retired, that income stops. You can't afford to have the same aggressive portfolio, especially if you're going to have ancillary expenses that are unexpected. You know, you've got to build that portfolio for that reason. You've got to build your financial plan around that. And, you know, the other issue, and we're going to get this a lot this year, it's an election year. You know, I know emotions are going to be heated this year, uh, debating who's going to be in office come, you know, after November. And is it going to be a Republican? Is it going to be a Democrat? Who's going to take over the Senate? Who's going to take over the House? And unfortunately, my crystal ball is pretty murky when it comes to that, too. And then the question becomes, well, if, you know, X gets into office, do my taxes go up? Do they go down? And I think these are very hard things that are almost impossible to predict ahead of time. I have no idea who's going to get in office and how it's going to affect my taxes. But some way, somehow, you have to plan for it with your retirement. You know, it's it's been pretty amazing. The last two election cycles um, had a lot of panic, um, even had a few people you know, demanding that we sell out ahead of the election because of what they were sure was going to happen. Um, and in both cases... You know, they happen to be wrong about the ultimate outcome. Um, we saw a pretty great market performance in 17 after Trump was elected. Um, and we saw, you know, the bounce back after uh, the COVID crash um, with, with Biden being in office. Um, the market did quite well as well. And like you said, it's just impossible to predict. We can't know, uh, but it's not likely to have a, a major significant impact right off the bat. Yeah, and I think there's two critical things you have to think about. Number one. Don't let your, uh, you know, don't let who you believe should be in office, what your your political affiliations are, color the way that you invest your money. It's really dangerous to do that. And a lot of us do that. It's hard. I know it's hard to believe, but a lot of us get our emotions involved. You know, think about building your plan around what your goals are and not what's going to happen this year with the election cycle. And number two, we know what tax rules are today. I don't know what they are a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. But you know what they are today. Lots of different tax strategies you can use based on where the laws are today 
that you should be using. So I recommend you do take advantage of whatever tax advantages there are based on what we know the laws are right now, not in a year from now, two years from now. And that's another mistake that we see a lot of you make. And you think to yourself right now, all right, I got to get on top of this. Like, I don't know what my healthcare costs are going to look like over the next 20 years. I don't know if my, my portfolio is positioned if the market crashes. If it doesn't crash, I don't know if I'm taking advantage of everything again from a tax perspective. Well, here's your shot to do it. We're down to four slots left. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself and Aaron will run for you. My, our famous total financial master plan will do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we'll just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? Well, there's lots of ways to take it, one right way for you. And how do you draw from your portfolio in the most tax-efficient manner And how do you factor in inflation? Your costs are going to double over the next 20 years. We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been like a yo-yo the last two years. Have you seen your portfolio go up and down wildly? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, getting 5% on your money market fund, but if the Fed cuts rates, that 5% is going away. We're going to put together a full investment game plan. Show you how to proactively Put your money to work, grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life and tie it to your goals. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, a mutual fund, brokerage product, insurance product. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own. We'll show you how to reduce the cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We have four slots left. If you save over a million dollars for your retirement, Simply call or text right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. You can call us. You can text us right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-PLAN-NYC, 844-PLAN-NYC. And if you want to learn more about our firm, Pain Capital Management, myself, Aaron Desson, simply go to bebullish.com. That's bbullish.com, and stay tuned. We got more, more money coming your way. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ all posted weekly gains, marking a reversal from last week's market action. The Dow closed up three-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 gained 1.8% just shy of its all-time record high set two years ago. The tech-heavy Nasdaq was up 3.1% this week, marking its largest one-week gain since November. Now, investors received some encouraging news on Inflation Friday, with wholesale prices unexpectedly declining by one-tenth of 1% in December, after the more widely followed CPI, the Consumer Price Index, came in modestly hotter on Thursday, with prices up three-tenths of a percent on the month, and 3.4% from a year ago. The yield on the all-important 10-year Treasury bond closed under 4% after hovering above that level for much of the week. Meanwhile, major investment banks kicked off fourth-quarter earnings season with decent results. Also in focus, oil prices jumped more than 1% after the U.S. and its allies launched airstrikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen in response to Red Sea attacks on shipping. In summary, Stocks and bonds had a good week, 
But in the grand scheme of things, it's as meaningless as the down week that preceded it. If you look at any chart of stock and bond returns over time, you will see they don't move in straight lines. Changes within the economy tend to be very gradual, and significant adjustments rarely happen within a short period of time. Certainly, there's plenty of daily news, but little of that information is meaningful and valuable. Most of it is simply noise. Hey, my prediction for 2024, it's an election year, and the noise is about to get louder. The good news is presidential election years tend to be bullish. The S&P 500's average election year return since 1925 is over 11%, with returns up 83% of the time. So tune out the noise and stay invested. Just be sure you're buying and holding the correct assets for your financial plan. Hey, my son Ryan and I, we have close to 80 years of combined industry experience of building low-cost, tax-efficient, gold-based portfolios. For your free evaluation of your portfolio to see if you have the correct assets for your plan, simply give us a call at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. By the way, we are live. We are live uh, WABC uh, all over the country. By the way, WABC has, uh, thanks to the incredible stewardship of John Katsimatidis, is now the number one talk radio station in the United States. So this is fantastic. And boy, do I love being with you every Saturday afternoon. I hope everyone's having uh, a wonderful uh, weekend. And, and for many of us, it's a three-day weekend because of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So, um, by the way, Martin Luther King Jr. believed that we judge a man based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I think almost all Americans believe that that is how we should judge people. Uh, but, you know, more and more, it's disturbing to me that the left does want to judge people by the color of their skin. They want racial quotas. They want all sorts of uh, policies that are not based on the man. And uh, it's it's not a system of integrity. And so I'm, I'm against all that stuff. I want everybody be, to be judged equally on their merit. Uh, and I think uh, I think Martin Luther uh, King believed exactly that. It's one of the ways reasons we celebrate his civil rights movement that gave equal rights to all Americans, to, independent of what color their skin is uh, or what their ethnic origin, and that is what America is about. I always say that the United States of America is the greatest multi, it's the only great experiment experiment in a melting pot where we bring in people from all over the world with all sorts of different backgrounds and languages and skin colors 
Uh, and we do, we are a melting pot. You know, it doesn't always run smoothly, but it's one of the reasons we're the greatest country on earth. So proud to be hosting this show. I want to make one last point before I turn to my, for, oh, by the way, I, I am taking your calls at the end of the show. I promise. I know sometimes I make that promise on the show and sometimes we run out of time. We are not going to run out of time. Uh, so I'm going to give you that, uh, more money hotline number. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222 or 1-800-848-WABC. And the question of the day is, um, we have three candidates who are the, you know, vying for the Republican uh, presidency. Actually, if you count Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a good friend of mine, we have four. So, but what I'm really interested in is this phenomenon of um, Nikki Haley rising in the polls. And I'd love to hear from people about what you think of Nikki Haley. I I like Nikki Haley. I prefer Donald Trump, but I think uh, Nikki Haley has some great ideas. So for those of you who support Nikki Haley, please call and let me know, because I want to hear what it is that you like about her. Uh, 800-848-9222. And we'll be getting to those calls soon. But right now, I want to talk more about the economy and about the financial markets. And by the way, the the reason that we have Bob and Ryan Payne on the show every week is those guys are experts. And I hope you will use their uh, financial uh, services uh, and advisory services because they've made a lot of money for a lot of people over the years. But I want to talk to one of the icons in the the business of money management. And I'm talking about um, Robert or not. I call him Rob. Uh, he is, uh, as I said, he's been in this business for uh, many, many, many years. He has advised firms with over $150 billion under management of how to uh, pick stocks and how to how to figure out this market. So, Rob, uh, I am just honored to have you on the show. Thanks for joining again. It's a privilege. It's always fun. It's- so let's, there's so much to talk about. Um, and you and I chatted a little bit yesterday in preparation for the show. And I'd love for you to tell my audience what you were saying yesterday. Cause I asked, you know, is now is, is now a time to be bullish? We had a good year for the market last year. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I feel like, well, maybe that's a time to run and take your profits, but what what's your overall take on the market? I, th- I think you told me yesterday that you like some of the, um, you know, offshore markets more than uh, some of the American markets right now. But, but what's your what's your take? Well, <clears throat> markets uh, market valuations are set based on narratives, uh, what the consensus believes. Uh, the Magnificent Seven soared last year because of a narrative that uh, AI was uh, going to revolutionize everything that AI was coming fast and uh, that it was going to reshape the economy, how we communicate, how we do our Mm -hmm. work, would displace millions of workers, Um, not often said, would uh, create millions more jobs, um, and uh, that these companies were at the center of a technological revolution. So, Rob, do you agree with that? Yes. Narratives are often true um, or or are, in fact, usually largely true. The problem with narratives is that they're fully reflected in the share prices. Okay. And if the narrative is off even slightly, 
the share right. prices will be wildly out of kilter relative to subsequent reality. Now, so, is it possible, remind- Rob, sorry to interrupt, but is it possible that the narrative is too dovish on, in other words, maybe they could outperform the narrative? That's a that's a very, very good observation. And that's what has to happen for these stocks to outperform from current valuation levels. Oh, I see. Evolution has to be even more drastic. Okay, got it. The consensus view in order for the stocks to outperform from current price levels. So I'm reminded of the uh, dot com revolution in 2000 uh, when you had what was called the tech bubble. And uh-huh. during the 2000 tech bubble, the narrative was the Internet is going to change everything. It's going right. to change how we communicate, how we buy and sell mm-hmm. goods and services, right. how we socially interact, um, uh, how we do research. And that was all true. The narrative was these companies in the year 2000 mm-hmm. are going yeah. to dominate that Internet revolution and they're all going to succeed. And that but, then, but then why did the market crash? The market crashed in large measure because the market was too expensive. Okay. It's, uh, currently, it's more expensive than any time since the tech bubble. Only one time in history has the aggregate stock market been more expensive than it is today, and that's the year 2000. Okay. Um, that's scary. That's kind of a scary thing to say because, <laughs> I mean, we don't want to see 2000 all over again. I mean, people lost their no. shirts. That's exactly right. And uh, tech led the way down in the uh, aftermath of the tech bubble. Uh, the narrative was wrong on uh, three counts. Firstly, the notion these winners were all going to succeed. Secondly, that um, uh, there weren't going to be newcomers disrupting the disruptors. Mm-hmm. And uh, thirdly, that it was going to happen fast in the coming several years. Well, actually, it happened um, over the course of the last 20 years, a steady steady stream of changes that came about because of the Internet. And so the narrative was true. It was just too optimistic. So, again, let me just stop you there because this is important. So, But let's say you bought uh, Google stock in, let's say, 1999, right? And then, you know, Google and companies like that took a big tumble. Apple, mm-hmm. you know, in that big sell-off. But if you bought it in 1999 and held it to today, even with the crash, you made a lot of money. Um, uh, Google's not a good example because I believe it went public in 02. Okay, so, that. yeah, but, but let's say Apple's Microsoft. Let's say, how about Microsoft? Microsoft is the exception that proves the rule. Okay. If you bought the 10 largest tech stocks on the planet, in mm-hmm. at the end of 1999, yep. zero out of 10 would have beat the market but, uh, 18 years later. Really? One. Yes. Wow. One, Microsoft, finally eked out a net win in the 19th year. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. So to, yeah. to date, two of the 10 are now ahead of the S&P, Oracle and That's Microsoft. Amazing. That's Both amazing. by one one to three percent per year only. The wow. others, so under- yeah. So yeah. if if uh, this is fascinating conversation, so let's let's just assume for a minute um, 
that you, you know, maybe these, you know, we, we, we talk about the Magnificent Seven all the time on this show. It's been an incredible <laughs> uh, 12 months for these companies. But let's say that they were to take a big tumble. Let's say they're overvalued okay. and there's okay. a sell-off. I mean, do you sell these stocks now? Um, I sure wouldn't want to hold a lot of my net worth in those stocks. If you want okay. to take a speculative flyer right. on, on a couple of them, go for it. Uh, but history also tells us that when you talk about the 10 most valuable companies in the world, uh, these are the top seven, by the way. Right. Um, if you take the 10 most valuable companies in the world, on average, eight out of 10 are no longer in the top 10 10 years later. Yeah, only right. two. And that's that's been only the history of our survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's now uh, my wife does the stock picking for my for the Moore household. I don't do it. And she's been dancing a little jig uh, for the last few months because she bought NVIDIA at the beginning of the year. <laughs> and that's done fantastic. What do you what do you think of <laughs> NVIDIA right now? NVIDIA is expensive. Um, okay. NVIDIA uh, was expensive at the start of the year, but not wildly so. It's now wildly okay. expensive. The okay. narrative is they have they have a moat. They are the creators of the chips that run AI, right. the fastest right. chips you can put into a computer. Right. Well, AMD has just introduced a chip that's fifty percent faster. Ah. So, the, so the notion that they don't have competition, that they uh -huh. they have a moat. It's just not a very deep or very wide I moat. See. Um, and others uh, in this field have no mode. Uh, in fact, there was a, um, a leaked email that uh, went to Google top management. Um, I forget who the author was, but it got leaked. And the title of the email was no moat. And it basically said, we have no moat. Microsoft mm -hmm. has no moat. Mm -hmm. uh, none of the com competition has a moat. Um, we need and to by a, by a moat. You, you, by a moat, you mean they're, they're not protected from competition. Correct. They don't have yeah. a big enough edge right, to, right. Uh, for people not to be able to leapfrog past them. Beautiful example. Remember the Palm Pilot back in 99 and 2000? I sure do. Everyone had to have one. Uh, yeah. It was the technology of the future. A company called 3Com made the Palm Pilot. 3Com decided to spin off its Palm unit as a separate company in early 2000. Mm -hmm. And it spun off at a valuation larger than General Motors. <laughs> wow. um, okay, wow. what happened two years later? <laughs> right. Two years later, um, you remember the BlackBerry? Well, I was just going to say, Rob, that I've, I'm addicted to the BlackBerry. I still have a BlackBerry. I, it's mm -hmm. it's weird to me that you know what I think was a superior technology has not prevailed because I loved. I could type all my documents and stuff on the BlackBerry. I, I'm not a big fan of the keyboard of the of the uh, you know of the uh, iPhone. So, but BlackBerry is gone now, right? Pretty much gone. It's yeah. um, so BlackBerry disrupted Palm. Yep. And the iPhone disrupted BlackBerry. So in the space yeah. of 10 years, you had two utterly dom three utterly dominant leaders. One of them is still dominant uh, to this day because they keep introducing new features every year. And every year there's a new iPhone. But bottom line is disruptors get disrupted. And the AI <laughs> right. disruptors are no, are no right. exceptions. They're gonna, they're, some of them will be disrupted. 
I don't know which are the two that will still be there in the top 10, 10 years from now, but I sure don't want to bet on my particular skill at choosing which two it'll be. So, uh, so what, what do yeah, what do you, you, I mean, this is kind of a bearish assessment, certainly on some of these big technology companies. What, what, what's your strategy then? Um, what, what do you like? Well, here's, here's, here's the deal. Um, Non-U.S. stocks are out of favor. I mean, Europe is lagging way behind the yeah. U.S. Japan's been lagging for a long time. Yep, yep, yep. Emerging markets have um, uh, these uh, wars popping up and mm-hmm. uh, 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 leadership that's kleptocratic and so forth. And that's all in the share prices. That narrative is true, but it's in the share prices. And the result is that uh, Europe... Uh, uh, well, broadly, non-U.S. developed economies. There's an index called EFA that spans non-U.S. developed economies. EFA mm-hmm. uh, is priced at about 40% cheaper than the U.S. Do I think that eurosclerosis is a real impediment to European growth? Yes. Do I think overregulation is an impediment? Yes. Do mm-hmm. I think European stocks are worth barely half that of the U.S.? No. Mm-hmm. I think that's too too cautious. I think right. there, there are some big winners there. Um, and emerging markets are priced better than half off relative to the U.S. Okay. So I would, I would, if you don't have meaningful allocations outside the U.S., take a look. Start beefing them up. You don't know when they're going to outperform, but I can say with high confidence that on a 10-year horizon, investments outside the U.S. Um, stock market will fare better. Now, the other side of this is growth, growth versus value. Growth versus value is more stretched than any time in history, except for the aftermath of the COVID meltdown in summer of 2020 and uh, in the tech bubble of 2000. Those are the only two times in history that value has been as cheap as it is today relative to growth. Bricks and mortar are supposedly history. Well, come on. That's simply not mm-hmm. true. Most of the economy is bricks and mortar and is likely to be for the foreseeable future. Yes, AI is changing everything, but it's not going to supplant uh, manufacturing of goods right. and services. So uh, the value side of the market, uh, if you look at the extreme tails, the 30% cheapest versus 30% most expensive, that spread is now eight to one in relative wow. cheapness. So growth is eight times as expensive as value. The norm is three and a half to one. To get from eight to one to three and a half to one, value would have to outperform growth by over a hundred percent. You'd have to be, uh, you'd have to have more than twice the wealth of the growth investor just to get back to historic norms. Wow. Now the other part of the narrative is, yeah, these companies are cheap, but that's because these companies are are a mess and uh, they're going nowhere except perhaps for many of them bankruptcy. That's been the narrative all along. Value is always cheap for that very reason. Here's a fun factoid. The Russell 1000 index is split into two two pieces, Russell value and Russell growth. Russell value has an earnings stream that has grown just as fast as the growth index over the last decade. The earnings of the value index have grown just as fast mm. as the earnings of the growth index. So what do you make and of you, that? What I make of that is that value stocks have done terribly 
and value mm-hmm. companies are doing just fine. So we had, uh, by the way, I'm talking to Rob Arnott, who is, uh, you know, world, one of the world's renowned uh, investors. Uh, he is the CEO of Research Affiliates. Um, I wanted to ask you, Rob, about, uh, you know, I'm a public policy guy. That's how I think I first met you. And I think we first met in uh, Rand Paul's office, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that. But uh, I know you're a libertarian. I was, I was a donator to Club for Growth. Um, uh, there you go. We were running oh, yeah. I, I, I guess we predated that meeting. But but uh, uh, you uh, do obviously follow public policy. And uh, look, I don't I just I don't like what's happening. <laughs> I don't like I don't what's either. happening with the taxes, the regulations. I don't like the massive debt that's going on in this country. Um, I don't like and, the polarization and the hatred both directions. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just bad. it's yeah, it is. It is a bad situation. And so um, that being the case, I, I but before we I want to just ask you about sort of the Trump versus Biden thing and just in terms of how that might affect the markets. But just, you know, uh, how do we, how do we, uh, you know, the market did well last year, despite all of these, this craziness. We have a president, by the way, who has thrown, our debt is now up to 34 trillion, as you know, and his policies by his own admission would take, take us to 50 trillion in debt. I mean, isn't this a big negative for the market? This is a big negative for the economy. Right. Um, It's not necessarily a big negative for the market. Uh, When you spend money that you don't have, stimulus payments, if Mm -hmm. those stimulus payments are dropped into people's bank accounts, what's called helicopter money, that money makes its home somewhere, and a lot of it flows into the market. So the bull market of the 2010s was largely a stimulus-driven bull market. Um, All What it does is to siphon resources, including human resources, out of mm-hmm. the private sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, those, those who know me well know that I'm a libertarian. I believe in uh, human liberty, economic freedom, uh, mm-hmm. respect for the Constitution, and a limited government. Uh, unfortunately, while those views were uh, made me a left-winger when I was 20, uh, I'm now considered <laughs> right-wing. Okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But be that as it may, um, we um, uh, this election is a little troubling to me. Uh, I know you're you're uh, you I'm a Trump like guy. Trump. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's not a libertarian. Uh, no, he he's not. He is not. He likes, <laughs> right. He likes big he does. So I'm yep. I'm not thrilled with him, but I sure don't want to see a repeat of Biden. Right. So anyway. Bottom line is uh, these policies matter more for the economy than for the stock market. But eventually, yeah. I mean, if you've got a poor economy, that the, these companies can't succeed, right? I mean, well, at least they can't succeed like they would if you've got growth and prosperity. Uh, it's just in terms of buying products, you know. I mean, how can people buy products right. if the econ- economy's in the tank? Well, the, the stock market is moved by more than just um, uh, right. the success of the macro economy. The success of the macro economy consists of growth of existing businesses and creation of new businesses. Right. Um, you can't put the same dollars to work on both. You're either buying stocks or buying venture capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the difference is that in a sclerotic economy, uh, innovation dies, mm-hmm. uh, new enterprise creation dies, 
Uh, here's a, a another bizarre factoid. Um, out of the 20 most valuable companies on the planet, 19 are U.S. stocks. Wow. <laughs> what's the what's the what's the outlier? Um, uh, the oh shoot, I just um, uh, probably one of the Chinese companies. I no, actually, yeah. it's a European company. Um, oh, Wigovi. Okay. Uh, um, wow, that's pretty amazing, though. How, how dominant yeah. the United States has been. Yeah, the Danish company that makes uh, makes Ozempic and Wigovi um, is the only company outside that's the incredible. U.S. that cracks the yeah. top top twenty. Only four companies out of the top hundred are European based. That's incredible. Four out of a hundred. So what we have is a market that has basically said the future of the world is the U.S. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, that narrative is not incorrect. Um, but um, does it make sense to think that four out of the hundred most valuable companies in the world are European? No, uh, no. that's nuts. It should yeah. be 20. But so if uh, we've got about we've only got about a minute and a half left, and and I really appreciate your taking uh, slices of uh, time out of your busy Saturday. But um, happy to do it. What uh, you know? Let's say that um, Biden wins, or you know, it might not be Biden, but it might be a a Gavin Newsom. I know you used to be a Californian, and you no longer are, but uh, or you know, some of these others that uh, you know, Michelle Obama. But they want to raise the tax rates on investment very significantly because you know this, uh, Rob, they want to suck it to the rich, right? You got to right. hit them right in the nose. And so they right. want to, you know, you look at uh, the, the democratic plan, they want to double the capital gains tax. They want to raise the tax rate on corporate tax from 21 to 28%. They want to, they're talking about taxing unrealized capital gains, which I think is insane. They want to increase the inheritance. Probably. <laughs> With this court, who knows, or at least the people they would put on the court. So in any ways, I'd like your assessment in our final minute to, to let our audience know you know, if that were to happen or even some of this, because, you know, you add up all these tiers of, of taxes, you're talking about paying 50, 60 percent on at risk capital on the profits. So that's going to have a negative effect, won't it, on the stock market? It may have a negative effect on the stock market. It will have a much more profound negative effect on the macro economy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Growth will slow. Innovation will slow. Companies that engage in crony capitalism and corporate welfare will do yeah. Uh, better than they should, meaning their stocks will be fine. So there are pockets of the market that can do surprisingly well. During Mitterrand's uh, uh, mm-hmm. term in France, the right. first half was disastrous for the stock market. The second half, the stock market quadrupled. Wow. Um, Why is that? Part of that quadrupling was, well, um, if you own stock, you own um uh, you have ownership of an existing established business. If that's the only thing that's allowed to th- right, thrive, right, right. then it'll do fine. Plus, people were looking past Mitterrand and saying this might change, yeah. and they became more optimistic. But um, socialism is not horrible for stocks until it gets really bad socialism, yeah. uh, but it's horrible for economic growth. Folks, this is uh, that was uh, Rob Arnott, who is the chairman of Research Affiliates. Uh, he is one of the world's expert on uh, the the world finances. Uh, Rob, can you come back in a few weeks? And I'd love to uh, 
to, to check in with you again because uh, the, you've uh, imparted a lot of wisdom on our on our listeners. So I hope you have a, a, a great afternoon, and thanks again for joining. Happy to do it. All the best. Okay, folks, we are. I am going to take your calls now. We have uh, a bunch of people already uh, on hold, so thank you for calling in. The question, if you're just joining us, is I'm asking people, what do you think about Nikki Haley? Do you think she is a better candidate if you're a Republican? Or I don't care if you're Republican, Independent, Democrat, whatever. Do you think she would be a better president for, than Donald Trump? Do you agree with the narrative? She, Her line right now is that um, she can beat Joe Biden. And she's saying, I'll beat Joe Biden by 15 points because there's some polls that show her with a bigger lead over Biden than Trump. I don't know if I believe those polls, but um, I wonder if you like uh, Nikki Haley. I'd love to hear what you like about her. I know her a bit. I think she's a charming woman. I think she's smart. I think uh, she could be a great president. Who knows? You never know until these people get into office. But that is the question for the day. And uh, while you're uh dialing in because we we'd love to hear your opinion on this the number 1-800-848-9222 i want to just reiterate something that i said last week if you weren't joining it the worst performing sector of the economy in terms of stocks in 2023 was green energy stocks the green energy stocks tanked in 2023 uh and that was true whether it was electric vehicles uh, companies, battery companies, solar, wind. Uh, and it's amazing because the government force fed uh, massive amounts of money into these companies, and yet uh, many of them failed. And so I'm not buying it. I'm not buying this green energy future. I don't think there is a green uh, transition going on. I, just, I don't, I don't see it. Um, I think, you know, and they, um, this isn't just an opinion. This is a fact that the United States and the world use more fossil fuels in 2023 than any other time in history. We're not, if anything, we're transitioning towards fossil fuels, not against them. So don't believe this green energy transition because the facts just show it is not happening. But anyway, now we're going to get to your calls. Uh, Please um, make your remarks as, you know, fairly brief because I want to get to as many callers as possible. The question of the day is, do you like, uh, do you like Nikki Haley better than Donald Trump? If you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, would you be more worried about running against Nikki Haley than Donald Trump? Uh, And uh, so let's get to it. Mr. Producer, who was our first caller? We've got Glenn in New Jersey. Glenn, thanks for calling. What have you got for us, sir? Oh, thank you. Well, uh, I had another question, but I would rather have Trump than Nikki Haley, although I like her. But could I yeah. ask you a quick question? But hold hold on. Cold? Yeah, yeah. But hold on. Hold on. Oh. So uh, just in, you know, in 30, wh- why would you rather have Trump than Nikki Haley? Well, I've already seen that. I thought he was a great president. Uh, I, I thought that he really had good, right. you know, very okay. good uh, policies. That, yeah. That's why. Okay. So what's your question? Oh, about gold investment. I I recently heard about trading on a market called Spot Gold. I was wondering if you know anything about this market. I I do not, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find out. I will, uh, uh, for for next week's show, I will get you an answer. It's Spot Gold, right? Yes, Spot Gold, S-P-O-T. I'm going to look it up, and I'll I'll have some more information for you next week. Uh, Thanks for calling. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Who, uh, question is, do you like Nikki Haley? Do you not like Nikki Haley? Uh, do you think she'd be a good president? Because she may do, who knows? She may be sur- a big surprise on Monday in the 
in the Iowa caucuses. And right now she's neck and neck with Trump in New Hampshire. Uh, Mr. Producer, who is our next caller? We've got Stefano in the Bronx. Okay. What do you got for us, sir? So real quickly, uh, various things. The first is the flip-flopping that's got to go. And hold on, hold on, know, hold, on. Flip, hold on, hold on, flip-flopping by who? Flip-flopping by Nikki Haley on issues. Like, give, give me an example. Give me an, ex- give me an example where she flip-flopped. Uh, there were a few, actually, in the debates that she was having with uh, Vivek. And, uh, oh, okay. You know, and, uh, you know, that's the double-edged sword of uh, technology these days. It's easy to just flip a switch and go back to what they really <laughs> right. said. Right, But uh, on top of that, you know, I'm tired of these Republicans that still haven't gotten the message. We can't keep showing up to the gunfight with a knife and yes. worrying about what the other side thinks of yep. us. At the yep. end of the day, you need yep. somebody that's willing to spend political capital. No one except yep. Trump has been willing to spend the political capital that it takes, which means being on people's bedside. And the biggest mistake that they always make is they keep flip-flopping and pandering. You can't. You've got to take a decision. You've got you to take a yep. direction. Follow it through. Yeah. You know, it's a great call, sir. Thank you. And I, as many of you know, I worked with Donald Trump uh, and uh, uh, I've been spending some time with him in recent months. Uh, and the guy has his game face on. He is he is uh, he is so focused. And I don't always agree with with President Trump. You know, sometimes I di- disagree with him strongly, but I have to say he he really does care about this country. He does want to put it first. He he really has um, proven in my opinion, I know some of you have very different. I know that a lot of people listening to the show don't like Trump at all, but he really did. If uh, this gentleman is so correct, who just called, if you look at the policies Trump had put in place, they were good. I mean, they worked. We had a, we had the border under control. We had uh, we had NATO paying their fair share. We had better trade deals. We had a tax cut. We had a booming stock market. Uh, if it had not been for COVID, which was a disruptor for sure, and the Democrats used that to their advantage, I mean, Trump probably would have won a 40-state re-election landslide because the economy is so good. So, you know, we'll see. But I'm, I I think Nikki Haley, I, I re- respect people who say, hey, Nikki Haley, she can win the women's vote. She can. And by the way, I'd love to hear, you know, we've only got a few minutes left, maybe time for one or two more callers. But I, I think that the suburban housewives may like Nikki Haley more than Trump. But, uh, Mr. Producer, do we have a woman on the line by any chance? We got Tony in New Jersey. Okay, Tony. Tony, go ahead. Steve, Happy New Year. Listen. You too. Uh, Nick, Nikki Haley is not a unifier. And as a woman, I have to tell you, my woman instincts don't trust yeah. her. We need someone who's not a rhino. I need a I need a MAGA. <laughs> you like the MAGA. All right, Tony, thank you. I've only got one minute left, Love so I want to try to get one more caller in. Great, great comments. Uh, we got time for one more, Mr. Producer. All right, here's DJ in Manhattan. DJ, what do you got for us? Uh, personally, I hate uh, Nikki Haley. I hate the way she Why? You, did you say you hate her? Yes. Uh, Why? She's a phony. By the way, I'm a Democrat. I also hate uh, Biden. I think uh, the best would be really uh, to have Trump, but really Haley. Wait, 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 wait! Hold, hold on, hold on, time out. You're saying you're a Democrat, right? That, that's correct. But I, you like I Trump. Dislike, but you like Trump. I prefer Trump to these two. Uh, I really has. Uh, I mean, I don't hate uh, Biden. I dislike him. 
Yeah. Uh, he really screwed up badly. Yeah. Yeah. Haley is a phony. She's, I mean, she, she goes with the tide. I hate the way she speaks, you know, I don't know, a kind of accent. And I don't like uh, DeSantis. So we oh, only that's interesting. Okay. Well, that's a great call. I think I'm going to try to, if we got time, can we have time for one more or not? I think not. That music says we're coming to an end, folks. It's been a good show. Thanks for listening. This is the More Money Show. I'll be back next week, same time. Have a wonderful weekend. And Martin Luther uh, Martin Luther King was one of our great, uh, great leaders. And so let's not forget to uh, pay him praise on Monday for unifying this country because we need to be more unified, right? <laughs> <laughs>